What is better than gathering together and talking to my friends about Jesus? So great to see you. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, we've come to, to see you for who you are, and so we ask that you'd reveal yourself to us. And we rely on your word to do that work. And so now, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you've ever been to Mexico, you've probably heard of this new wonder of the world called Chichen Itza. And it's interesting as you go to Mexico, this represents one of 200 places of Mayan ruins. Now, Mayan ruins are throughout the world, but Mexico has quite a few collected in one territory. And going there, you can learn a little bit about the Mayan religion. For example, you can find this field where they play a game uh, trying to get a ball through a certain hoop. And I, I'm not sure if it's more like Quidditch or soccer. I don't know. But what I do remember is that the winners of this game, as their prize, would die. Yeah. And the reason that they would be put to death is so they could go and play this game against the gods of the underworld. And if they beat the gods of the underworld, they believed they would be reincarnated as jaguars. And so jaguars were a big deal in that culture. You see it a lot throughout the ruins, uh, highly in esteem. More, if you visit Chichen Itza, you can go to a place, it's the edge of a cliff, where on the edge of that cliff, it's commemorated as a place where they offered child sacrifice. Uh, there was an archaeologist named Anda who uh, rationed why they did child sacrifice, and this is what he wrote. It was thought that the gods preferred small things, and especially the rain god had four helpers that were represented as tiny people. So the children were offered as a way to directly communicate with chalk, the rain god. Now, I don't know how this strikes you, but for me, it's kind of terrifying. If God is this way, wanting child sacrifice and us to die to play gods of the underworld and reincarnate, I'm not sure if I want to be a jaguar. What's also interesting is that this is just one religion of which the world contains 4,300 different religions. And so we're here to talk about what is God like, and let's be honest, there are a lot of ideas over what God is like. And you can escape the Mayan culture, but just think of the spiritual age of our time. The spiritual age of our time is described as syncretistic. We have syncretism going on, and what does that technical term mean? It means that we as spiritual people blend a lot of different ideas together to form our own idea of what God is like. Syncretism, blending all together. It's represented by this group of toys in Toy Story. I don't know if you remember these guys, if you saw Toy Story. And so just as they've been constructed by many different toys, so many people are walking around, and yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm also going to put in some Buddhist thought and some Hindi thought and some spiritism and some ancestor worship, and all of them together are what I believe. And it's not uncommon to see people mixing them like a stew of their own personal belief. you imagine if you were the true God looking down at that and what you might think? Have you ever been misrepresented by other people? For example, someone can take a post that you put on Facebook or in social media, they can have a one-off with you, and they can construct this whole idea of who you are and can be completely wrong. Can you imagine God looking down and, and he gives information, he reveals himself, and they construct this whole idea and it's completely off. 
More than that, why it's important to us, not just from God's perspective, is I agree with a theologian named A.W. Tozer and what he said. And he said this, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what is that that comes to your mind when you think on God? Is he a needy God who requires child sacrifice? Is he a vengeful God who's just out to get us? That's why it's so important as we close our series asking for a friend that we see what God is like. And it's interesting that even as a strong Christian, sometimes we need a better definition of who he is. Sometimes even as a strong Christian, you can have a definition or an understanding of God that isn't who he is. But I'm convinced that if you do see him for who he truly is, this is our first takeaway. That he will be bigger, more majestic, and better, more good than you even know right now. See, I am convinced that if you see the God of the universe, you'll always have reason to have praise and awe and majesty. And he will be enough no matter what you're going through. Now, there were people along the way that wanted the revealing of God, and one of them was named Moses. There was a time where Moses was leading God's people, and he was so frustrated. It was like herding cats, these Israelites. He's like, God, I need you to show up to me. I need to see that you're in this with me, that you're real. I want to know you. Well, God actually acquiesced to that and hid Moses in the cleft of a mountain and passed by Moses, only the backside of his glory. And he didn't see too much. It was just smoke. But what he heard was what is our God all about. What Moses heard as the Lord passed by was this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is God. The God you've come to see is compassionate and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He is a forgiving God who shows mercy. And this last part, he's a just God, by the way. If you've ever been upset about a lack of justice, as we've seen in Texas where there's terror going on, you need to know that a holy God wants justice even more than you do. That's our God. In fact, in the Old Testament, this was kind of the theme of God. You'll see these words in the Psalms. I think people pass this identification of God along through the ages. In fact, I know this because of the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet told to go to Nineveh, his enemy, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew something about God. He didn't want his enemies to know God because God is merciful. And he sure showed himself that way to the Ninevites. In fact, at the end of Jonah, it says this, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, the opposite way. Because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding. Do you remember those words? Jonah knew this about God. And the Old Testament Christians had all of this to go upon until, until the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Until Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Jesus is the image of God, the iconus 
that represents who God would be like. And God not only reveals himself in Jesus, but also through his word. If you want to find him, you pick up your Bible and you find all these things about who God is. And so that's what we're going to do in these moments. And you can follow along in your worship folder here. But in honor of the word of God and him revealing, can we stand in hearing these words? So our lesson is uh, from the disciple John, who is with Jesus in the upper room. This is the upper room discourse the day before Jesus would give his life. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We're going to talk about that. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. Now ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one I love. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. These are incredible words about the interplay of what we call the Trinity, a triune God who is the great three in one. Uh, before you sit down, can you tell someone next to you, he's better than you think? He's better than you think. That is our God. Please be seated. An interesting family exercise is to look at a family and see which child is more like mom or dad. I don't know if you've ever played this game. I don't know if it has iterated over time, but it's kind of fun to see which child is more like mom and which one more like dad. What is another phenomenon and an iteration of this game, and maybe you've seen this, is how sometimes a personality can skip a whole generation. And the child is not like mom or dad, but they're a spitting image of a grandma or a grandpa. Have you ever seen this? And it's, I don't know how it skipped, but it happened, and, and there's grandma and, and, and your family. That's crazy. So then you end up parenting your own parent, which is its own form of crazy, right? And parents pick up on this, and they don't fight it. And so sometimes you have fathers who like to act like their children. And then if you're in church, sometimes you did this, and you all dress alike. I don't know if you ever did that as a family with the same tie, because, you know, we're all the same, right? I bring this up because... God the Son is telling about his relationship with God the Father. And in no uncertain terms, he's saying there is this relationship. But a clarification, he's not saying he's a spitting image. He's not saying he's like. He's saying he is. Did you pick up on that? So the verse that he was telling uh, to Philip, he said, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. And if you're academically honest with the Bible, you see this across the New Testament, that Jesus isn't just saying, I'm like God. 
He's saying he is God many places. And so our first takeaway is this, that God is Jesus. And if you believe this, your mind then can race if you want to know what God is like over what Jesus was like. As we look at the life of Jesus, you can see his compassion for the lost. As he went through Samaria and wanted to meet with a woman at the well because she needed to know hope and forgiveness and salvation. That's what God is like. If you look at Jesus, you know he wants to help people. All those that he healed, whether it be the cripple or the blind or the lepers, he said the word and they were healed. Jesus, who is patient with his own disciples who often didn't get it, who often were thick-skulled, he had to be patient, and instead of giving up on them, he kept teaching them and kept being with them. This is the same God today. What is God like? He has compassion for those who are lost. He's not wagging his finger. He wants them to come home and know peace and forgiveness. This is the God who is patient with us. Even when we get it wrong so often, when we're thick-skulled, this is the God who wants to help us, which is awesome. But it's interesting, as I bring up Jesus, what you may know that I know is that there are as many ideas of Jesus, it seems, as there are over God. Now, many people do not deny that Jesus existed. There's a ton of proof that Jesus was a historical figure. But what they cannot always agree upon is what he was like. And so some religions just say he was a good man or a godly teacher. But knowing what he just said, I like what C.S. Lewis said, the trichotomy, that Jesus, based on his words, was either a liar, because he claimed to be God, a lunatic, because who else would do that if he wasn't, or he is Lord. And what we're convinced is that he is Lord. But in this next part, what I love about God is he knows what we need. If we're going to believe a big claim, God knows that we need proof. Isn't that true? We need proof if we're going to believe something to be true. And to talk a little about this, um, I want to talk a little about the Westminster Abbey. Our, our family had a chance to, to visit the Westminster Abbey recently. And in the 1300s, a man named Hugh Herland uh, built this incredible um, structure, um, the, the, the top portion of the Westminster Hall. Now, as a carpenter, uh, if you've ever worked with wood, you might know what it would take to bend wood in place as an arch. That's a lot of work. I don't know if he had clamps that he used. Incredible. It was the hammer and beam construction, and it was so strong that a lead roof was put on top of it, and it was sturdy, and it was good. Now, if you were Hugh Herlin building this roof, do you think you'd have to go out into the community and convince people you were a carpenter? Do you think he had this whole, like, diatribe, like, here's reason why, you know, X, Z, you know, this is why, can't you tell, I'm a carpenter. Did he, I, convince? I don't think so. I think Hugh probably just stood by the Westminster Hall, said, um, uh, yeah, my work kind of shows I'm, I'm good with wood. In fact, uh, research would show that some of the modern carpenters today uh, don't believe that they could do what Hugh did in the 1300s. It's pretty incredible. The reason I bring this up is because Jesus says that he is God. And his proof, look what he says. He says, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So what he's reminding Philip of is who but God can speak a word and heal a centurion's servant and they'd be healed in that moment. 
Who but God could tell lepers to go and show themselves to the priest and they would be cured? Who but God could make mud, put it on the eyes of the blind, and then they would see? Who but God could stand in the middle of a raging storm where fishermen thought they were going to die and tell it to be quiet and it listens? Now, Philip would see even better than this. For in a few days, he would see Jesus not only die, but be raised back to life. And so something that we know about Jesus, Jesus is God because of his works. And do you know, this is always how God operated. He gave us proof. One of my favorite uh, stories in the Old Testament about God giving proof is when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. Have you heard of the Ark of the Covenant? I know it's an Indiana Jones reference for some of you, but it's an Old Testament thing. Um, And it represented God's physical presence on earth for a time. If you had the Ark, that's where Moses would go to meet um, and speak with God. That was his presence among his people. And so once in battle, the Ark was stolen. And the Philistines, they put it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And something pretty incredible happened. 1 Samuel chapter 5. It says, they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. I think that's pretty incredible. Now, the people then tried to prop up Dagon once again, which tells you a little bit about that God that they had to put him back into place. But anyway, um, and what's interesting is that it happens again the next day. And this time when Dagon falls straight on his face, his arms and his legs are broken. They got to the point where like, we don't want this ark anymore, and they gave it back. And this is God proving himself. But you might be asking, well, pastor, I'm not here to see Jesus' miracles, and I don't have the ark of the covenant, so what can I have as proof that God exists? I love the words of Paul. Paul said, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This Memorial Day weekend, as you go back to your home and maybe are out in the garden working on flowers, as you go for a hike or a walk, as you're on an old plank trail, as you look at the beauty of creation, you need to know that is God's grand hello. That is God proving himself to you, saying there's something bigger than just you, and that's me. I love that God gives us proof. But there's another reason that Jesus is God. In one miracle when he healed a cripple, before he said, get up and take your mat and go, uh, the cripple was lowered from the roof. Some of you remember this account, lowered from the roof. And the first thing that Jesus said are these words, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees actually reacted correctly to these words. They knew what Jesus was trying to put down. He said, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But this was Jesus proving again himself to be God, for he would be the payment for all sins. What's so great about God is he has preserved his word to this very day. And that word that we read, that word that we hear, it's different than the word of politicians, isn't it? It's different than commercials and news stories. It's different than what we see on Facebook. It's different than history books. It's different than comic books. God's word is fire. A fire that lives within us, that guides us. A fire that can break down stony hearts and make them beat for him alone. 
how awesome that God has promised his word. He said that the grass would wither and the flowers would fall, but the word would endure, and it has endured forever. So Jesus, he is God because of his words. But can I relay the biggest problem? The biggest problem in society and for us is not that we can't find God. I don't believe that's the problem. The biggest problem is we don't like what we find. See, the age we live in wants to take God and twist him and turn him to our own ideas. And so when God has a system of morality that is no longer in vogue or no longer what we want, we want to twist that into what we want to do. When God allows certain things to happen in our lives, instead of letting God be God and let him work it all out, we argue with God and we say, how could you let that happen? What's going on? In fact, even the strongest Christians can sometimes confuse what is God's will versus what was my will and my free choice. And so what this age really needs is humility. And what God invites us to do as we see his glory is repent of the times we want to stand above rather than be below. Because, friends, if we stand below, we'll have reason to be in awe of God all the days of our life. When we stand below, we see the great work of God that's better than our works. Because the work of God in Jesus Christ is not just to heal the leper and the blind and the lame. No, the work of our God is to heal sinners so that we can know peace and forgiveness. The greatest work of God is Jesus' cross and his resurrection, which convinces us that we are at peace, that we are loved, and that we have a destiny with him forever. And it's because of that greatest of works that he can speak these words. Later in the chapter, he would say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And that's what we have. Words that speak peace. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins, he's preparing a place for us and will come back and take us to be where he is. How awesome to know our God's works and his words for us. And I think that's what I love about God most Compared to all the other gods, if you look at other religions, every other religion, that God is a taker. They want to take something that you can give. They want to have a sacrifice in this way or that way. And God presents himself as the only sacrifice needed. God gives incredibly. How awesome. And to talk about this more, we've talked about God the Father and we've talked about God the Son, which means we also need to talk about God the Holy Spirit. Jesus references the Holy Spirit when he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, I really enjoyed translating that word advocate is the Greek word paraclete um, that can also be translated counselor, um, can also be translated just generally as a helper. And so I want to talk a little bit of how God is our helper. Now, one of the things that really struck me, I don't know if it struck you, is when Jesus said that we were going to do greater things than what he did. My mind kind of went to this, and I was thinking of a slam dunk contest with LeBron James. 
And it's like watching LeBron James do like a, a 360 dunk where he like put it between his legs and like pulled that off. And, and then LeBron turning to me and saying, don't worry, you're going to do greater things. And I'd turn back and be like, pretty sure no, right? So when Jesus, who dies and rises from the dead, when Jesus, who has done these miracles, says that I'm going to do greater things, that's kind of a head scratcher, right? But then I did some research, and I thought about it a little bit more, and Bible commentaries that helped me. Track with me here. When Jesus was on earth, yes, he did miracles. Yes, he drew a crowd. But how many truly believed in the Son of God? Many of them just wanted to see the miracles. Many of them just wanted a handout. Even his own disciples before he ascended had doubts, even after his resurrection, which is incredible. But what happened on Pentecost? On Pentecost, 2,000 turned to believe in the Son of God. What happened through Paul? Paul spread the gospel throughout the world at that time and was able to spread the kingdom in a way that Jesus never did. What is the greater work? It's going and make disciples of all nations. How, how crazy is it that 2,000 years later, there would be a, a group of people crazy enough to believe it'd be a good mission to reach the lost with the love of Christ. That means the greatness of God and the greater things are still going on. That God the Holy Spirit is still compelling his people to be about some of the only works that matter in our lives. And I just rejoice that we don't have to do this alone, but that God the Holy Spirit empowers the greater things. Now, we're still going to plan and purpose. In fact, I love that our leaders had a retreat and we planned a 10-year vision. We planned some great things for the future. I love that our staff is going to get together and we're going to plan great things in this year's ministry and refine what we're doing together. I love all of that planning, but I am convinced the true power is from God and God alone. God works through his word. God works through the sacraments to break up stony hearts so that we beat for him. How awesome that we have that strength. But there's more that God helps us with. And I don't know if you ever use your phone to navigate. I love plugging things into the iPhone right now because uh, I grew up with the AAA maps, you know, and, and getting, you know, a map, a page for each destination. And, and then there was MapQuest for a while and you'd print out the document. But, but now we live with the phones, and what's so great is that if you miss a turn, you know what happens? What do they do? They reroute you, don't they? And I love that, because I wouldn't know how to reroute myself. And if you miss a turn on MapQuest, it, it, it didn't reroute, you know, you can print new pages, right? Uh, so this is pretty great. God, our helper, is the ultimate rerouter. We might think we have a destination. We might think we have something in mind, but God can get us exactly where he wants us to go. I was considering what Jesus said. He said, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give. Now, whenever you're struggling with scripture, you always have to take the broader context of the Bible into play. And so we know in the broader context, if I pray for something sinful, is God going to give it? Absolutely not. Wouldn't be wise. If I pray for something that wouldn't give him glory, I don't think he's going to give it. If I pray for something that wouldn't be for my good as a heavenly father, I don't think he gives. So what does it mean? I believe that God is still guiding our prayers in, we, in ways we can have confidence for. I love this passage about the Holy Spirit. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we ought to pray for. You ever been there? I don't know where to go and what to do and what to buy. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What confidence we can have just as we approach our Heavenly Father. You don't have to speak the right words to get the right outcome. You don't have to have in mind the things of God for God to work on your behalf. And so the confidence that God the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us and give us exactly what we need. But a last thought, and this is maybe one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because on Memorial Day weekend, isn't it true that you can have everything go according to plan? You can go by water and walk outside. You can have great meal. You can uh, have great parties. I know graduation parties are going on. Have great baseball. You can have a ball. And on Monday night, you can still feel unsatisfied. Isn't that true? On Monday night when Tuesday is coming, you can still feel like, well, I'm missing something. That's true of people, isn't it? You can find incredible people in this world. You can find ideal friends, an ideal spouse, ideal coworkers, and even the most ideal will still have something that annoys you. You know what I'm talking about? They still won't be perfect. God knew that. And that's why I love this quote about God. Pastor Jeff shared it last week. He said, from St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That we were created with a God-sized hole that only God can fill and truly satisfy. And so one of the best understandings is that God has not left us alone. That God is always with us. And I don't know about you, but we need his presence. We need him. We need him in this world where there is a war raging. We need him in this country when there's resource problems and inflation that is skyrocketing. We need him in Texas for all those families who are terrified over what could happen. We need his presence. And Jesus says, I'm there. Look at how he put it. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am in you. And so what does God do? God, our helper, is always with us. And so that means if you move, he's with you. It means if you're having a bad day, he's with you. It means when you don't feel him, he's with you. God is always, always with us. Now, I could spend the rest of my life telling you everything about God. I don't have enough time for that today. So let's take a next step, and our next step is this. That simply, um, as we want to know God for who he is, start each day this week adoring God in prayer. And what does it mean to adore God in prayer? Um, The phrase you can use is, I praise you because... I praise you because. And then you could use some of the words we considered. I praise you because you're compassionate. I praise you because you're gracious. I praise you because you're forgiving. I praise you because you're always with me. Start each day with this understanding to get your mind right about who God is. And now, let's pray together. God, I could spend not just this sermon, but my whole life trying to get to know everything that you are. I thank you that you have given me enough to hold on to. I praise you that you are good. And that is so evident in the life of Jesus and his works for our behalf. Let your words continue to to do their good work on my heart so that I can be comforted by who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. This time as a Christian community, we have the opportunity to encourage one another with a common faith. And so I invite you to confess with me the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.